Gotta love what John says. Now, I was, I was thinking about Mark when I came over here today and how he wrote about the temptation of Jesus and some of the things he talks about differently than the other gospel writers. And he talks about the fact that Jesus faced the beasts of the wilderness during his temptation, speaking to believers knowing some of them were going to face beasts in the Colosseums of Rome. And yet to not be afraid because he's with us. Amen? He's with us. John 4, Jesus, the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers, folks, that's a very important two-word statement, true worshipers. Not a performance, not just going through the motions. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit from here and truth. The Father is looking, he's searching, wanting, desirous for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So he doesn't leave a lot of room there, does he? He gives us very specific ways in which we're to come to him. So, Father, we love you. Bless your people with fresh hunger for more of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The importance of being anointed and knowing the presence of the Holy Spirit plays a key role in how we worship. The importance of having a heart that's after God because we are filled with the Spirit. It's important to understand that the only thing necessary to praise the Lord and just that aspect is breath. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So uh, through the years of life, I've attended a lot of Christian performances and some of which, some of the people performing, were just doing that. Other times, some of them weren't even living the life. They were just gifted to be able to sing and perform, and anything that praises God and has, has breath can do it. I mean, even alcohol breath can praise the Lord. I've witnessed that happen in church services. I've seen it, right? In concerts... We can just praise the Lord. Anyone can praise the Lord. But in order to worship, you have to go to a deeper dimension. It's a different relationship. For the Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So there are ten chapters in the word of God that relate to the life of Abraham. Eleven chapters in God's word that relate to the life of Isaac. Ten chapters in the Word that relate to the lives of Elijah and Elisha. Those are the power prophets. There are 66 chapters in the Word that center around and relate to the life of David. <clears throat> 1,200 references are made to David in God's Word, and 59 of those references are found in the New Testament. Why? Because David is the most prominent person in God's word other than the Lord Jesus Christ. 
he is mentioned more than any other character in all of God's word. When you think about faith, you think about Abraham. When you think about Old Testament law, you think about Moses. When you think about Old Testament miracles, well, the two power prophets, Elijah and Elisha. When you think about worship, you think about one person, David, the worshiper. He was a musician. He was a psalm writer, a composer. He was a warrior. He was a king. Most importantly, his heart was after God. He worshiped in spirit and truth. He knew how to come before the Lord. He worshiped God in song, and he worshiped in dance. He was unashamed to express himself. The most prominent of characters mentioned over and over, over 1,200 times, was a man of worship. And there had to be a reason for that. What was behind that? Why does God become obsessed with this man, David? Why does the Holy Spirit keep bringing us back again and again? And the number one characteristic of his life, David was a worshiper. And there's a connection between anointed worship and our obedience to go and present Jesus as a witness. Because anytime a church is anointed in worship, the healthy response, there will always be people born again through that church. Born again is the key to what we're supposed to be doing on our mission. And here's what God says about his presence. Yet you are holy, speaking to God, enthroned on the praises of your people. So we can attend church where there's the first church of rigor mortis, right? No one is worshiping, just mouthing words, spectators, entertained. No one is excited or passionate about sharing Jesus outside the doors of the church. Rarely does anyone come to know Jesus by being born again. Instead, it's growth by entertainment or consumer Christianity. The anointing in worship and the desire to be a witness are connected because the Holy Spirit responds to worship. The Father sends him in response to our worship coming out of our hearts. When we worship in spirit and in truth, the anointing of the Lord falls. And when the anointing of the Lord truly is falling, it's not about emotion, it's about action. We are put to work to do what God asks us to do. The anointing in worship and the desire to be a witness are connected. They are tied together. And here's a case example. The word says Jesus deliberately entered into the city of Samaria. He allowed his disciples to go get lunch, but he himself sat at Jacob's well, and the woman of Samaria shows up. Now, why was she called the woman of Samaria? Because scholars tell us she sold herself for financial security. She would marry for money and marry for security. That was of utmost need in her life, in the core of her being, I need to feel secure. She comes to the well. She's as lost as she can be. And of all the things that Jesus could have said to her, 
if she'd have been a typical church person, you shall not commit adultery. Okay? Do you recall what Jesus spoke to her about? Living water, relationship to God, right? He engages her in a conversation centered on worship and being satisfied inwardly. He said to a sinner, your father's worshiped in this mountain, but let me say this to you. There's coming the hour when true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus so captured this woman's heart, meeting the hunger of the depth of her being. When he speaks to her about true worship, she runs back into the city and brings the whole community back to hear Jesus. Because once the Spirit of the Lord begins to work in the heart, see the outcry, what happens is you want to go tell as many people as you can of what you have found. And see what happens when we encounter the presence of the Lord. How many of you would like to see our whole community turn toward a true revelation of Jesus? It's all about Jesus. We build a church under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and anointed worship. It will bring citywide evangelism. People will go out and bring others to the Lord. Now, during the Jesus Revolution, here's what happened. The Spirit of God began to work in the hearts of the young adults of that day who were searching everywhere and finding nothing but an empty hole, a rabbit hole. There was nothing in it. So finally, they began to turn toward the Lord, and all of a sudden, God met that need and that hunger and quenched that thirst. And so what did they do as a result of that? From services, they were out in their neighborhoods, out in their business places, and they were sharing the Lord, and people were being saved there where they met them in life. And if they weren't getting saved there where they met them in life, then they would at least bring them to church on Sunday so they too could hear what they had heard and be satisfied. You see, the anointing that Jesus spoke about so touched the lost sinner. Not only did she give her heart to Christ, but she brought the whole city back to hear him and to meet him and to know you need to have what I have. Often churches underemphasize the anointed worship of Jesus and substitute proxy smoke and lights. We need reality. We need to meet him. We need to connect with him. Many don't understand that when the saints of God begin to worship in the anointing, something happens that rubs off on the lost. What we have is immediately shared. They begin to feel our joy and sense our freedom and know what's different about you. Where'd you come up with this piece? Their heart begins to say, I don't have that. And when we begin to worship in the spirit, and I love the fact that God looks for us. He's looking for a group of people. And the word says that the father seeks those who will worship him. Many times people just seek God for something. Seeking God about finances. Seeking God about a mate. Seeking God about my children, seeking God about my health. And actually, we ought to quit doing that after we've made our case and drop it at the feet of Jesus, then spend our time worshiping Jesus. 
Instead of us seeking God for something, we can get to the point in our worship when the Father comes seeking after us. And Jesus said, he seeks for such who will worship him. Okay. How many of you would like to have your heavenly Father come to where you are today and find you? Because whenever he shows up, there's blessing he brings. Amen? Then we ought to have a heart for worship if we desire that. Worship is what draws the presence of God. It's what draws the manifestation of Jesus. It's like a siphon. All of a sudden, you begin to draw the presence of God out of our hunger and out of our thirst. We need to understand the power connected between anointed worship and being a witness. They work in conjunction. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, the one with all the authority says what? Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a beautiful statement and a fantastic charge. We have a responsibility to the one who has asked us to take the message. And we have a responsibility to understand, well, somebody may get offended if I, that's fine, but I'd rather they get offended than offend the commander-in-chief who said, I'm commanding you to go. I don't want him offended at me because I refuse to do what he's asked. Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. Many think that only applies to the believer, that we're just helping one another. Remember, the Father's heart is for the lost. When Jesus said, go make disciples, Peter, feed my sheep, he was speaking of those who needed him. And what, is, what does that mean? Jesus spoke about the lost sheep of Israel. He spoke the parable of the one lost sheep. Sheep are identified as being lost. Then he makes this statement, fear not, little flock, it's the pleasure of the Father to give the kingdom to you. So Jesus is saying that inside of sheepdom, there is a flock. Those who belong to him, they are his. But the multitude of sheep are lost. And when he tells Peter to go feed his sheep, remember later, he switched it and said, feed my lambs. A difference. The lost become found and then become his lambs. So Jesus said to Peter, my commission, go feed my sheep. One translation of the passage says, love the lost as you love your church. Love people who don't know me like you love each other. Jesus wants his church to think outside of themselves. Are you hearing this? Yeah. Huh? I don't hear a lot of a shouting amen out here. Yeah, you ought to be shouting. Because this is who we are. This is our DNA. This is what God caused us to become. Okay? To go after those who are lost. Now, how do we do that? We engage in anointed personal 
and collective worship. When we truly worship Jesus, the lost will come to know who Jesus is. Love all sheep. Love black sheep. Love white sheep. Love Hispanic sheep. Love Asian sheep. Love old sheep. Love young sheep. Our church needs to be a church like that. Absolutely loves lost people. That's the most important thing to the Father. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why we're going to celebrate Christmas. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. David wrote many of the Psalms. It's a worship book. And Jesus quoted more from the book of Psalms than any other book in the entire Bible. Why? Because Jesus' mission was to seek and to save that which was what? Lost. And Jesus understood that wherever anointed worship is, witnessing takes place. It's automatic. Conversions. That's how Jesus intends to grow the church. Through conversions. Through people who are lost now being found. That's why Jesus constantly quotes the psalms of worship in his messages because Jesus understood the connection. When we have anointing falling into our lives, we share gladly what God's been doing for us. If Jesus' church would worship in spirit and truth, what is his truth? His truth is go. His truth is tell. His truth is make disciples. If we would worship in spirit and in truth, it would be automatic that we win people to him. If the church would truly worship, God would be able to use us. And I'm not just talking about in a church service, when we're gathered together or in a small group, when we're gathered in a home, but a lifestyle of worship wherever we are. Lifestyle means we're willing to serve. Lifestyle means we show up. Lifestyle means we're willing to assist. Lifestyle means we'll do whatever God asks us to do to, to help and support and do all we can to strengthen the body of Christ. David loved the presence of the Lord. How many know he did? And we're given two snapshots of that in David's life. Many times you read about him loving and seeking the Lord, but two very distinct snapshots pop out. You see him on one occasion at a high point. He's following the Ark of the Covenant, and then he begins to lead, and the Word shows us he dances before the Lord with all of his might. I mean, he's really cutting the rug. He's going for it. David is singing and worshiping with joy before the Lord. He's expressive. He's not holding back. He's showing God how much he loves him with his whole heart and his whole being, with all of his might. And he had to be a strong dude, right? Better, th better than dancing with the stars he was that day. Happiness. And then you see him on another day at a low point. He's committed adultery. He's responsible for the murder of one of his great generals. And now the fruit of that has come home. And you see him standing there with his dead son in his arms. And on both occasions, there was one thing that stood out about David. The high point and the low point. He fell on his face and he worshiped the Lord. 
worship. David decided that his strongest instinct in the high times or in the lowest of times was to worship the Lord and to walk in his presence and anointing. Let me say to you, that's when you begin to walk in something powerful. That's when the church starts becoming impact players. When the instinct in us in the high times is to worship him and not forget him because of all he's done for us. In the low times, we worship him because he's still faithful. And though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. When we have much or we have nothing, it's an instinct. We worship the Lord. His anointed presence shows up when we worship him in spirit and in truth. When things are good, something in us says we ought to worship the Lord. I don't deserve this. I haven't been good enough to get all of this. When things go south, the instinct should say, you know what? This is rough. This is painful. But I will worship my way out of this. That's what David understood. That's what he grabbed hold of. The kingdom of Israel was expanded more under the rule of David. It grew more because he was a man after God's heart. And it prospered more. Why? Because he loved the Lord and worshiped him. So will Jesus' church blessed, prosper, and grow when we worship the Lord and serve him according to what he's asked us to do? And the key to his successes, he was an anointed worshiper. I'm saying, if you desire to prosper, if you desire the blessing of God on your home, anybody desire the blessing of God on our church? I do. You need to be an anointed worshiper. Amen? An anointed worshiper. And it's not a coincidence that the most prosperous kingdom in all of God's word was under the administration of a man who spent much time giving God glory and honor and worship. It's all connected. As a matter of fact, the word says in Acts 15 that one of the signs of the last days is that God will restore the tabernacle of David. Acts 15, talking about the end of days, after, he said, this I will return and re will rebuild the tabernacle of David. So that stops you in your tracks when you read that. What's that mean? The tabernacle of David was a tabernacle of worship, where God's presence was seen and experienced, and it had fallen down. It was no longer in play. But God said, I'm going to restore that. Hallelujah. I'm looking for that day. I'm believing every day I get up, this is going to be the day when God restores once again his people. And then it goes on to say, I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity, see how this is tied together, might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine. God's goal, to bring more people to himself. That's why he anoints us. That's why he blesses us with his presence. That's why we want services that are packed full of him so that we can go and do the work God's called us to do. Do you see it? He's saying, I will build again in the end of days. I will restore the tabernacle of David, anointed place of worship, to bring people home who are lost. Amen. That's his goal. It's his purpose. A high authority 
the one who has all authority, has commanded us to make disciples of everyone, to teach them everything he's commanded us. And he commands, his commands outweigh our perspectives. His commands outweigh our lack of desire or full desire. We must obey God because he is our commander-in-chief. Many voices will try to quell that, but his word still speaks to us today. We are to go with the message in the anointing of the Lord. Amen? So when people once again begin to worship and understand how to worship in the spirit, like David did, with the lifting up of hands. And Paul goes on, and he speaks of it as well, to lift our holy hands up to the Lord with musical instruments, with joy, with rejoicing, with one voice in unity, with heartfelt anointed worship, not entertainment, not performance, but in spirit and in truth. Amen? God said, I will find some people who will get hold of my presence. As a result of that, all of a sudden they will make, become impact players in their culture. When they tap the anointing, through them I will reach nations and neighborhoods. It's wonderful that we can reach the nations, but we need to reach our neighborhoods. And Gentiles, that's us, will come to know the Lord. I believe Calvary Christian Center was raised up as a church of divine destiny. And I don't think we've come near fulfilling it. I believe God raised us up. I believe God wants us packed out. Now remember the Jesus Revolution days. And some of you might. It got to the place where there were more people on Sunday night than Sunday morning. That seems odd, doesn't it? Why? They couldn't get enough. They didn't like it if the service ended too soon. Give me more. Or you, you can't be done. They wanted to go everywhere talking about seeking more knowledge of the things of the Lord. When you tap the anointing, all of a sudden you can't get enough of the Lord. We refuse to become some old dead mausoleum. We will give God glory and honor and worship every time we walk in this house. That's why we are here. And God said, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. What was the tabernacle of David? Do a little word study on that. Well, it was a tent, but it had very specific colors and very specific types of materials that were poured into it. And we want God to tent with us. We want a tent where the presence of God fills the place like it did throughout the Bible, right? What was different from the tent of David as opposed to the tent of Moses? Well, Moses had all the curtains down and only one person got to ever view the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, where God's seat of presence was, only one, one time a year. When David went and retrieved the Ark, he pulled up the curtains of his tent. And suddenly, people who never, ever got to see this, they only had the Gentile court or they had the woman's court. In other words, women and Gentiles were way out there. They couldn't get anywhere near it. You could not get close to the glory of God if you were a Gentile or a female. 
But the day all of a sudden changed when David said, that's not the way it's going to work here. They could not have entered into his presence like we freely do today. So when David places the ark in position, he said, lift the curtains up. We're going to have a whosoever will church. We're going to have a place where anybody can get to the presence of God. We will allow everybody to get in here. And David surrounded that tent and the ark with 4,000 musicians. They had four different shifts that they worked. They occupied space all around the ark with worship. And God's seat was right in the middle of all the worship. That's where God plants himself. And I was looking at that in the Old Testament and looking at that, how that worked in the life of Ezekiel and Daniel. It's incredible. And, and you read about the fact, go between the whirling wheels beneath the cherubim and take a handful of burning coals and scatter them all over the city. And God's throne literally moves to a place in a spot where his presence is manifested like it did over the Ark of the Covenant. So all of a sudden, One-on-one, we have relationship with him. And then all of a sudden, by the power of the Holy Spirit, things begin to change. One-on-one, we should be talking to people about the Lord because we're full of the Spirit of Jesus. And then when they come in here, they should feel the anointed power of the Holy Spirit to know there's power for me to go live this life. And David says, I want you to lift the curtains so that everybody can be participatory in the presence of God because God's seat was right there in the middle of them. Can you imagine these people? They thought, I never thought, I'd get to lay eyes on the ark. And God's saying, I want my glory to be seen and I want my glory to be experienced. It's not just something to happen in the room. Whosoever will may come. God is restoring the tabernacle of David right here in our city, and we're believing God to manifest himself like he promised he would. We will have a whosoever will may come church, a church that no matter who you are, you're welcome into the presence of God, and his glorious anointing will touch lives when they walk in this place. But it's also got to happen where we are every single day of the week. Think about what I'm saying. They rolled up the curtains. And 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, 4,000 people were around that facility praising the Lord and worshiping God. So he left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark regularly as every day's work required. And that happened biblically for 33 years under the reign of King David. Not once could you go up to Mount Zion and not see worshipers worshiping the Lord. There in the middle of all that worship was the mercy seat of God. Don't you love that? See how this pictures out? The mercy seat. That's what 
people need to hear about today who in the life of uncertainty to have a certainty that there is a there is a mercy seat there's a place to come where God forgives and God washes and God restores you see how this all works worship mercy seat people coming people being received the lost coming home right it happens all the time I love this thought because the word says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people he rides on that his mobile throne moves toward the worship of his people. One version says like this, when you praise God, he brings his throne down and comes and sits in the middle of our worship. I want Jesus to be front and center in the middle of our worship that you can tangibly sense the Lord is in this place. And Holy Spirit, help us to be such a church of anointed worshipers that we say, bless the name of the Lord. Welcome, Master. Bring your throne and sit right here in the middle of us that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. How many of you want Jesus to feel comfortable in our church? That we love him, worship him, lift him up. So why is continuous anointed worship before God needed? Well, why do I can't, why isn't Sunday's enough? Isn't it, Pastor? I mean, that's just, no, it's not enough. It's an everyday lifestyle. 24 hours per day is extreme, isn't it? I mean, think about this. Why do we need so much anointed worship in our lives? Well, we never got tired of it when, the, when Jesus was there. Because he was always doing something, right? Because the opposition of Satan is continuous. And he is relentless. And he's speeding stuff up right now because you've never seen what you've witnessed in the last two and a half to three years now. And you certainly haven't ever seen before in just two short years of leadership like you've just seen in the last two years. And he's speeding it up. He is relentless and he is persistent. And the word says in Revelation 12 that he has access to the people of God and he goes before the throne of God as the accuser of the brothers and sisters and he does it day and night. He is relentless. Read the story of Job. The word says that when the angels went to present themselves before God and they were there to worship and love him, Satan slips in with them and he goes to accuse Job before the throne of God. Demons are always carrying a message of accusation against you, always looking to pin you to the floor. You did this. You didn't tell the truth. You said that. Little snotty tattletales is what they are, and constantly filling the atmosphere with accusation. I would hate to think that Satan is more committed to be in God's presence to accuse than we are to be in God's presence to worship. We should be more relentless than he is. If Satan go 24 hours of nonstop spirit of accusing, we ought to have a continuous spirit of anointed worship on us because we are forgiven of everything he accuses us of. 
then we should be honoring and worshiping God because of it. And Satan, if you're going to accuse me before God's throne night and day, then I'm going to worship God before his throne every hour of the day. I can be here in church with God's people. I can do that in my car. I can do that in my prayer closet. I can do that at our breakfast table, in my bed, and in my office. Well, I just can't worship. Someone hurt my feelings, so I just can't work. I was unappreciated, and somebody doesn't like me, and I got a bad business deal, and no one said hello to me when I walked past. I can't go back there and worship because this stuff is... Listen to me, folks. You better get over that. Think about the devil for a minute. The devil was kicked out of the presence of God. He has the audacity to walk right there before the throne of God, and all those angels are not very welcoming of him when he makes an appearance. Oh, Lucifer, we're so glad to see you again. (laughs) Accuse us all you want. Yeah, I'm sure that's the greeting he gets. No, I know differently. He was one of the three archangels. Gabriel, Lucifer, Michael. Gabriel, the word of the living God, the messenger, he brings the bear the truth of God's word, clarifies it. It just oozes from him. Michael, the warrior who leads all of heaven's hosts, he doesn't wear armor. He's made of armor. And Lucifer, the worship leader. Hmm. See the connection? He stood in the very fire of God. No other being was ever permitted to do that. In the very glory of God. That's why he tries to squelch your worship. And that's why he tries to put a wet blanket on worship. And that's why he doesn't want you doing what you do best. And that's worship your creator and your savior. Because it was once his position. He can no longer have it. He never again will have it. And he's jealous of you because now you have that mantle of worship. And you should worship the Lord with all your might like David did. Amen. And I can tell you without question that when the eyes of those two other archangels fall on the face of Lucifer. There's a moment of sadness in both of them. But there's also a moment of absolute disgust. He is not warmly welcomed. He gets the cold shoulder from those angels on their posts. We cannot stand you because you're a traitor. But he walks in snarling He doesn't care if they don't like him. I would hate to think that Satan is more determined to get into God's presence than we are. So you think I will allow someone who doesn't like me prevent me from worshiping the Lord? No. Do you think I will worry about who shows up in a service and allow them to hinder me from worshiping the Lord? Never allow people or the devil to prevent you from stepping into God's presence. We should come boldly to the throne of grace. Never allow anyone to prevent you from worshiping God. Amen. But when you have the mantle of Jesus with you, Nothing the enemy can accuse you of or do to you can stop you 
because in his mighty name you have power and authority over him. The longest worship service ever in history that we have record of lasted 300 years. The little town of Bangor, Ireland. Over 800 monks gathered from all over the region. They made a vow to God that we're going to read the word and we're going to chant praise to him. That's how they worshiped, chanting to God. And they did that for over 300 years. And the whole village grew up. And all of a sudden, a community was birthed because an entire town came into being around these worshipers who made God the center of everything they did. There's a city in northern Illinois by the name of Zion, Illinois. It's founded by the healing evangelist Alexander Dowie, who back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, built a tabernacle that seated over 5,000 people. Because he was arrested so many times for preaching and praying for the sick in Chicago, they actually charged him with practicing medicine without a license. Okay? And of course he got off with those charges because they couldn't prove that. So he moved himself up to a desolate place close to the Wisconsin border up in northern Illinois and built an entire city. Why? Because the awesome presence of God and anointing of God and miracles of God and salvations that the Lord was bringing into the lives of people got so intense that there would be a train every Sunday morning leave Chicago full of people who would travel up along the lakeshore and get off in Zion, Illinois and walk over to the tabernacle so they could get into the presence of the Lord and see what God was going to do today. That building was everywhere around it were crutches hanging off the walls, wheelchairs, walkers. There were braces where people had literally walked away from their ailments and their illnesses and were healed and delivered by the power and the presence of God. Great Lakes Bible Institute was founded up there. And Finest Dake, some of you may remember that he printed notes into a, new King, into a King James Version of the Bible, his own personal notes, called the Dake Annotated Bible. It's a fantastic, full of notes. All of that came out of that town. Thousands upon thousands of people came to know Jesus in a place there was nobody, but he planted a church there, and God built the kingdom right there because there was anointing, there was the word, the presence of God, and people were going out bringing other people to Jesus all the time. The Moravians began prayer and praise meetings in 1727, and that lasted for nearly 100 years. 24 hours of praise and worship nonstop. And they became the greatest evangelists of their era. So much so, but a, a man by the name of John Wesley, I he said, I have to go see what's going on over here. That's what happens. We got to let's go, go find what's going on over here. So he goes to see what's going on among these people. And it so touched him, he was born again. He became a believer. He caught fire and became one of the greatest preachers the world has ever known. Yeah. 
He founded the Methodist denomination. In their early days, they were full of the fire and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's documentation of them on the sawdust floors, worshiping God, loving God. And if they were to walk into some of the Methodist churches today, John would be quite upset with what he's hearing and seeing. Some of them have gone woke. God help us. We're not going woke. We're biblical. We're going to stand on the word of God no matter what goes on in this culture. And now in some places almost totally abandoned because they gave up the principles of God's word and principles. And that's true of many denominations, not picking on one. There are many that have gone from that great fire of God's presence and worshiping and witnessing. They go together and building the kingdom to just absolutely flat tires. I'm telling you, anointed worship is important to God. So much so that Jesus told his followers, I want you to go to the upper room. I don't want you to leave there. I want you to stay there. I want you to shut down your your witnessing. I want you to shut down bringing people to Jesus. I want you to shut down praying for the sick. I want you to shut down casting out devils. I want you to come in that upper room, and I want you to worship, and I want you to meet me, and I'm going to have you wait there in my presence until the anointing falls on you. And then when the anointing fell on them on the day of Pentecost, to cost 3,000. What was the result? 3,000 people came to know Jesus. That's what happens when the church is worshiping and full of the Spirit of God. David had 288 accomplished musicians playing in his tabernacle. Music is a gift from heaven. It's given to us. People think, well, music is bad because all the bad guys are performing it. No, music belongs to us. They stole it from us. We need to claim it back. It belongs to us. Before the earth was created, the sons of God worshiped and they sang. Job records it in the oldest book in the Bible. As earth was being created, as God creates the earth, the background was worship music going on. Where were you, God asked Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And while the sons of God worshiped and sang for joy, the word of God says that he created the world and spoke this planet into existence. God had worship singers while he created because anointed worship music releases the creativity of God through your life. And if you want God to use you uniquely, then start basking in and saturating yourself in worship. If you're going to worship him forever, don't you think you ought to start learning how to do that now? Why would God take us out of time and take us into eternity while we have been here in time and all we can offer him is half-hearted praise on a Sunday morning? Why would God pull us out of time into eternity so we can stand before his throne saying, how long is this going to last? 
David constructed instruments of worship for the house of God. In the Old Testament, they were pretty well relegated to just a few. The prominent one was the ram's horn, tambourines. They would sound those periodically, sometimes trumpets and other horns of that nature. And they sounded, everybody knew this is a call to worship. Thank God there is a sound of worship. I've been in the rooms where the sound of worship can be felt and experienced. That was their sound of worship. And then the word says, David came along, watch this, and 4,000 praised the Lord with musical instruments, David says, which I made. So he supervised and constructed instruments for worship. And he was saying, the sound of worship in the tabernacle is not going to just be some trumpets and a ram's horn like it was in Moses' day and some tambourines. He said, it's going to be a different sound. And he was creative in the way he constructed under the anointing of the Spirit instruments of worship. The sound of worship. I remember it clearly during the Jesus Revolution. And groups popped up like Love Song, Maranatha Band. Jesus People USA. And the sound of worship changed. One of the signs of the tabernacle of David, new sounds appeared. It's happened in every move of God's spirit. New sounds appear. The people who were used to the sound of specific instruments only probably had a hard time getting used to the new sound. Because all of a sudden, I remember you leading our, our young adults in some of the newer sounds of music, and man, it just filled the house when that, that revolution was going on. And, but sometimes some people have a hard time Listen, folks, it's all about anointed worship of the Lord pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus, not us. It's always about that. And if we will move with the Holy Spirit, we will move into new sounds of worship. If all one, all one wants is to perpetuate the familiar, we will miss what the Holy Spirit is trying to do today. Because when people are born again, out of them comes new sounds of worship. Every generation has to reach its culture. Right? The culture of the Jesus Revolution Day, where all the rock festivals and all the anti-establishment music that was being played, well, they took that and they brought that into the church and they began to make it all about Jesus. Same kind of instruments, same kind of sound, right? But it was all about Jesus. Every generation has to reach its culture. Every generation has to recognize change in culture. Because remember that the thing about worship, it releases the spirit of witnessing and inspires people when they're full of the spirit of God to go tell others about what he's done. And amidst uncertainty and hopelessness, we must reach this generation. Yes. And we will be the instruments to release the anointing to witness in our world. 
to our generation because we have learned to worship our great and mighty God and we are open for this generation to come and worship our great and mighty God because we need God to do something unique and fresh and new. Then the glory of the Lord moved out from the door of the temple and hovered over the cherubim, all in response to worship. And as I watched, the cherubim flew with their wheels to the east gate of the Lord's temple, and the glory of God of Israel hovered above them. I want God to move like that among his people again today. And it will be more impacting because now it focuses completely on the one and only Jesus, the Son of the living God. Amen? Thank you, Lord. So let's stand right now. Let's worship. Let's love him and honor him. Recognize he's here because he is. What is he waiting for? He's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. No pretense, no ego. Know how good I am, Lord. No, face down on the ground in the presence of the Master. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. From my heart, the core of who I am, in spirit. Which is translated, I seek first the kingdom of God. Not just on Sunday, but every day of the week. I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything you need will be taken care of leave you helpless. He will help you. Thank you, Lord. Lift your hands and just say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. We need Jesus like we've never needed him before. We need Jesus like we've never needed him before. We need him in the church first. We begin the turn to heal our land by repenting of our own sins because we are guilty of not doing what he commanded us to do. Church is not here for our entertainment. It's here for our infilling. It's here for us to go back out and share the living water that we were drunk from here. Thank you, Lord. with people every day of the week. If somehow in your offering them Jesus, they say, no, thank you. 
say, well, it's fine. Come to church with me on Sunday, though. I'd like to have you here. We're having something special, unique this coming week. We need you to be here. Invite them to your small group to connect. Ask them, do you have a need in your life? Is there something that we can pray for you about? And just about everybody's going to say, yeah, you know, I do. I, doctor told me this or I'm with my children or my job or everybody's got some need and what you need to do is just say I'll be glad to pray with you right here right now pray for you and our small group will pray for you too and we'd love to have you come drop in on us and hang out with us while we pray and ask God to help us because we all need help all of us no, no exemptions Thank you, Jesus. So in the name of Jesus, whether you're watching by screen or you're watching right here, eyes are closed. The first steps that we have to take, the baby steps of new birth. What does that mean, new birth? I've already been born. How can I be born again? Well, the simple answer is you were born of the flesh, humanly speaking, but now be born of the Spirit of God. That's what? Transformation. Sins forgiven. Washed. Empowered to serve. And if you're carrying a burden of sin, then here's what you're going to conclude, like all of us have had to conclude. You cannot shake it off. <laughs> you can't get rid of it. You can't offload it. You can't fix it. There's only one who's come to lift that burden off of you. It's Jesus. He stood and took your punishment for your sin and mine. Now if I accept the fact that he's my Savior, and I'm sorry for what I've done, and I intend never to do that again or live like that in the future, he'll give me the strength to make that decision and to keep it. If that's you, just lift your hand and say, I'm ready. I'm here. I'm ready. Anywhere in the building, just lift your hand. Say, I'm ready to make a commitment to Jesus. To give my life to him and to serve him the rest of my days. If you're at home and you feel that need to do that, let's pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. He's my Savior. I have sinned. I don't have a remedy. But you're my remedy, and I receive your forgiveness. By you I am born again, in Jesus' name. If you've made that prayer yours, personalized it, please immediately send us an email or place a call to our office. Communicate that with us. We would like to further help you if you need some support and some prayer. And thank you, all of you that have tuned in today to watch. God bless all of you and keep you.